Today's episode is brought to you by Divine Social. Divine Social is a marketing agency that helps e-commerce stores who sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, and DIY enthusiasts. They're behind some of the biggest brands in the creative industry, responsible for strategies to move your online traffic from prospects to buyers to raving fans. And now the team at Divine Social is offering a customized review of your shop to help you uncover what's keeping you from selling more. Go to divinesocial.com backslash CIA for more details. Thank you so much, Divine Social. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode number 208 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about H&H Americas with my guest, Darren Stern. Darren has worked for Colon Mesa, Cologne International Trade Fairs Incorporated, for 18 years. In that time, he has supported clients from more than 10 unique industries. One of the industries Darren supports is fiber arts. Since 2015, Darren has helped companies from North America exhibit and visit the H&H Cologne Show in Germany. In Darren's role with Colon Messa Incorporated, he serves as the Director of Business Development, IT and Systems Manager, and the Show Director for H&H Americas. Before Colon Messa, Darren was a university professor, service consultant, and business owner. Darren lives in the greater Chicago area with his two daughters and his wife. Darren Stern, welcome. Well, thank you so much for the introduction and having me join you today. Yeah, I'm super excited. So um, as some folks listening might know, Craft Industry Alliance is the strategic partner with H&H Americas, which is a brand new trade show for the crafts industry that's coming to Chicago in 2022 in June, June 22nd to 24th. We are super excited to be collaborating. And this all came about because of you, Darren. So I would love to talk first a little bit about how you kind of got into the trade show business. So what did you study in college and how did you find this job working with this German trade show company? Um, It's amazing what you could find on the internet or what you fall into and what you happen to find. Um, my undergraduate and my master's degree are from the same university, from the Rochester Institute of Technology, where I was a food service major and a hospitality systems development uh, major in my master's degree. My background before trade shows was large-scale special events, specialty tutorials, food distribution, um, all on hospitality side. After working for the Atlanta Olympic Committee back in 1996, a, one of my staff members went back to New York and found himself a job working for this small company called Reed Exhibition Companies and said, dude, this is the coolest thing. It's the special event that never goes away. You just keep going from one event to the next. So I followed him up to the the New York City area and joined Reed Exhibition Companies. And that was my first taste to now finally 
performing the production of the show versus just being an attendee at the show. Uh, and then the best way to say, I, got, I caught the bug. I took a break, became a college professor for a while, but then stayed after that, joined the overall trade show business, whether you're in general show contracting, production, registration, just different facets of it, and found myself here at Colomesa um, by a posting on the internet. Uh, just, it was interesting. It was here in Chicago and just took the chance and applied. Wow. 18 years later, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. So have you always been somebody who just loved to plan like big parties? <laughs> Is that something that's been so like appealing to you? Um, it's what we do. Even my wife uh, today in our house, like we, we love to host. So whether it's doing fun food bars, we, and that's where I get to actually mix my, cush, my cooking and creativity in it, where I get to do it at home. Um, but I find that it's the easier side of the hospitality industry because now I could just order things and not have to work all the way through to the end of the event. Um, but yes, it is, it's fun. It's fun to bring people together. It's fun to work with these exhibitors, whether you have new businesses. I can remember stories of one client who, when I first met them, didn't have a passport. Three years later, they came to Clone and did a trade show um, and how their business grew a client. We do things by the square meter, started in 12 square meters, almost 17 or eight, almost 18 years ago. I think he was one of my first clients. He now has over 300 square meters. Um, so watching and seeing companies grow through some of the efforts and helping exposing them to different parts of the world, different channels of marketing and advertising and sales distribution, it's just, it's fun. And can you describe maybe for um, some listeners who have never been to a trade show, what a trade show is? Like, how is a trade show different from a consumer show? Um, like, what is a trade show? The Exactly, right? Like, I'm going to, we'll take the assumption that everyone who listens to this has been to some craft festival, some arts festival, something as, in, as a consumer. Or maybe you'd have a booth at those events yourself because you're selling finished products. What we do, the only difference is the type of the conversation versus selling one skein of wonderful hand-dyed yarn to a consumer who's going to go home and make an item. We're just taking it to the next level and taking product and saying, well, can I sell that skein to 13 different countries? Do I want to have 30 different stores of distribution? It's just moving up that food chain of distribution where if you think, where do you as a store owner or as a designer, as a producer, where do you find your suppliers? And do you want to pay retail or do you want to find wholesale? We act at that wholesale or manufacturing level of conversation and brokering those relationships. Okay. All right. And you work for this parent company, as you mentioned, you found this job in Chicago um, and Cologne International Trade Fair. So what? explain a little bit like what they do, because you know, H&H um, Cologne, which maybe some folks listening have heard of because it's a, a craft industry show and now H&H America is coming to the U.S. That's all in the crafts industry. But Cologne International Trade Fairs actually does a lot more than just crafts. Absolutely. Um, back up the story, just a few years in history. So Cologne Mesa, which is our is the building name, is also the name of our company in Europe. The building owners are the show organizers, different than what we see here in the United States. So if you're in Chicago, we have McCormick Place, um, the Moscone Center in San Francisco, or the Javits Center in New York, um, Georgia Royal Congress Center. 
you know, we've all seen these large buildings. They've been around. We probably have attended some of these facilities. We are that in Cologne, but the difference is we then own and run the trade show. So we own H&H Cologne, but we also work in video games. Some people, if you play video games or if kids play video games, might've heard of Gamescom. 360, 370,000 people converge in the city in Cologne for that little one. Um, but we do equestrian sports called Spogo Horse. We do pools and spas called Aquanala. We do a Nuga called Food. Um, we do furniture manufacturing called Interzoom and so on and many, many other categories. But then we do them in Cologne primarily with about 70 or 80 shows annually there. But we fully operate events in Dubai, Singapore, Thailand. Tokyo or Japan, um, in Bangzhou in China, in Beijing in China, uh, Colombia and Brazil. We're a global eight, excuse me, nine subsidiaries around the world. They're wholly owned subsidiaries. And then about 115 sales reps around the world. That's one of the things that makes Columbus unique. The other part that's very different from us, where people have asked about who we are, trusting us, because we're somewhat of an unknown name for, to many American folks. We've been producing and organizing trade shows since 1928. Been around for a while. Yeah. And you have shows in all of these places and so many shows a year in all of these different industries. So really running trade shows is what this company does. And as you said, they also own the building in Cologne, Germany, which is a different model than the U.S. model. Um, And so talk a little bit now about Cologne, H&H Cologne, because this was, and it continues to be, it's held in March, a premier trade show, global trade show for the crafts industry. And it gets such incredible reviews from people, especially that I know in the U.S. who have a chance to go. So what is it like and kind of what sets it apart maybe from some of the other trade shows in the crafts industry that people might know about? Scale and size. Um, and creativity, and it's things that we don't even do that the exhibitors do for us. Um, the best way to put it is just take anything you've seen and just throw it on steroids. Um, being this is an, a not a visual medium that we're getting to speak today in, I wish I could show you pictures. If you can, please go Google H&H Cologne because you will see what we're talking about. With The show takes place traditionally in four different exhibit floors on two different buildings. So that in itself is an example of scale and size, where we have multiple numbers of exhibitors that will take space upwards of over 3,000 square feet of exhibit. So I think of my own house here where I live. It's a three-bedroom house. It's a ranch. These booths are as big as my personal home. Um, So when you start thinking like, my God, that investment, the way that they then display products, it's not just skeins of yarn or bolts of fabrics thrown on a table and maybe a book thrown open and you're flipping through pages of products they offer. They are stylized vignettes. They are actual hospitality villages where you have full bottles of Chianti in an Italian booth, espresso machines, white tablecloths. You can hear dishwashing machines running because they're actually not just handing you a plastic cup. Um, it's a quality and a level that is really hard to understand in a in a spoken medium. It's something that you really only understand when you physically see all of that creativity. The other part that's also very unique, um, well, until we get to do our show here in June, 
is the internationalization of it. The show brings over 16,000 attendees. That's not accounting the exhibiting personnel to the show. So you're talking about 20,000 trade professionals from about 81 different nations between exhibitors and attendees. So that variety is part of that energy, is part of that fun where you can get to intermixing ideas from Russian store owners to an Australian store owner to a German store owner. And then the cross-pollinization of those ideas is very unique. Yeah. And I know a lot of like the best boutique owners that I talk to are, you know, local yarn shop, local fabric shop owners. They go there to to H&H Cologne to source because you're going to find really cool products, as you said, from all over the world that you just don't see here in the U.S. And so having that product mix in your store is super is super valuable and interesting to consumers. And so that's where you would go to find it. And what kinds of crafts does H&H Cologne really focus on? Um, is it like the entire scope of the craft industry or is it just like a particular, you know, sort of focus? I would call it fiber arts. So it is definitely heavy on the yarn side. It's also the tradition of where the show started before we actually took ownership of it. Uh, it was a yarn event, a small yarn event for Germany. Over the lifespan of the event, where back then it was one hall, then it grew to two halls. Cologne Mesa then took ownership of the event, and then it grew to three, and then four halls since 2015 is when it went from three and then upwards towards today to being in four different exhibit floors. And then you're seeing the expansion of the categories, partly because we have, I'm going to say, 80% of the yarn of the large, larger international yarn industry. There's many North American companies that are not represented. Um, but then you do see fabric, you do see the sewing machine manufacturers, you do see thread manufacturers. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes it truly unique because even though we're a yarn store, we're, be we're mixing mediums more often nowadays. Or you're looking at your, your sales and you're saying, well, how can I extend my sales just one bit further? Do I want to stay just in yarn or is there a way to integrate yarn with some fabric ideas or some fabric projects possibly? Um, and that's one of the things that is exciting to see where people are always, there's a sense of discovery because we don't organize the show. It's not like sewings in one section and fabrics in another section and threads in another section. You're always excited to turn the next corner because you're like, oh my God, what am I going to find? Um, and that's a common element where normally from North America, we will see about 100 to 150 attendees come from North America to the show. And they always respond back with, I can't believe what I found. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because the environment in Europe with crafting is somewhat different than in the U.S. because like patchwork quilting is less of a tradition in other parts of the world than it is in the U.S., for example. I think it's taking hold and there's definitely strong interest, but it's sort of um, in the U.S. it has such a strong tradition at this point with um, patchwork quilting. And then the other piece is that in Europe, there aren't these giant big box stores for crafts like um, Joanne and Michael's and Hobby Lobby, for example. So it's more like a smaller retailer. Um, that's my understanding. That's selling craft supplies. Yes. Like we give out lists of like companies so people to get familiar with the market. When I, we talk about large German retailers, it's 25 stores. It's not these major networks. And what's interesting and part of 
the difference in the systems or the difference between say Europe and then what we have here in America, let alone those larger scale operators. But then you also have language that gets in between, you know, a, a Polish retailer, is he going to expand into Italy? Well, can he speak Italian? Does he want to deal in Italian? Um, you know, at a wholesale level, they, everyone converges on English, which is very nice and convenient for us, that no matter where you're working from, an Italian supplier will sell, can work with a Turkish person who can then sell into Poland, who then moves it on to Russia, but they're all defaulting to English because it's the common language for everyone to connect back to, particularly in business. That's one. Of, that's something that really then changes that distribution system where here in America, you could say we have, you know, we use primary two languages for most parts, right? We have Spanish and English are the two most popular dialects spoken. Yes, English being our main language um, of nature, but depending on where, what cities you're in, other languages would help. There, the borders just, even though it's free flowing for commerce, it is much more restrictive and much more protectionist uh, for them. So it's also from a supplier, you can go and you can have a distributor for Poland, a distributor for Italy, and so on through because those nationalities will break out by, by language. Yeah. It's a, just a really different um, environment and something um, important to understand. And my understanding too, is that a lot of representatives from mills also come to Cologne, which is interesting and an opportunity for people to sort of meet with a mill rep. It's a, the complete ecosystem. Um, and that's one of the things that makes it in, so interesting and dynamic, everything from the artist to the custom clothing manufacturer who's on the sewing side, to the mills, to the distributors, to an importer, to the influencer. We really don't try to exclude certain categories or any category if you're making your living via the fiber arts. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Tracy Reuter from Divine Social. Uh, Tracy Reuter and our company is Divine Social. And what is Divine Social? So we are a uh, advertising agency. We're a digital marketing agency that helps and focuses um, on brands and businesses that sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, DIY enthusiasts, and we help them create successful digital acquisition strategies. Okay. So what does that even mean? So it's great that you specialize in this niche. So you're talking to makers, which is awesome. And you understand them. You're a maker yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, but what does all of that other part mean? So our specialty is when you're when you have your own storefront and you are trying to get people um, to go from never hearing about you to actually buying from you on your e-commerce storefront. We specialize in basically designing, if you will, um, the creative process to get people from never heard about you before to becoming raving fans. We've been serving the makerspace for over gosh five and a half years now. We're actually our team is been quietly behind some of the biggest brands in the space. And we have a tremendous amount of experience understanding the nuances of very tactile products. And we know a lot of times people want to touch and feel things, but we've really mastered how do you do it digitally? So if someone is if a company is wanting to really grow um, their direct to consumer, their whether it's Shopify or whatever it is that they they own. So not not necessarily an Etsy store or um, Amazon or something like that, but directly. Um, that's what we've been doing for the last almost six years now in this particular space. That's fantastic. Such a good resource to know about. Um, and how can people find you and be able to reach out to you? 
Well, if you are, our website is divinesocial.com. Um, and you can go there. And then if you go to divinesocial.com forward slash CIA, uh, for a limited time, we have a, an opportunity for people who are already doing direct to consumer and want to get our eyes on their store to find out what's preventing you from getting more customers. So that's definitely there. so valuable. Thank you so much, Tracy. My pleasure. Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much, Divine Social. And now back to my conversation with Darren. Right. And that's so cool. I think th- that place for the whole industry to come together is just fantastic. So um, I know COVID um, put a damper on all trade shows. It's been tough. Um, it's been a long time since we've been able to meet in person. So could you talk briefly about how Colin Mesa kind of pivoted during COVID, especially focused around the craft show? Yeah. So last year, unfortunately, um, we did not. We were not able to host a live edition, physical edition, I should maybe better call it, but we still hosted a live edition. So we did H&H at Home is the brand that we use at home as our digital platform system. And we still had an event. We still had classes. We still hosted demonstration sessions. We still had interactive exhibits where people could click on a digital platform. You could book appointments. You can look at products. You could search for products. And you can actually do video calls and and live meetings all without ever leaving the platform. So the event was smaller. We had 100 companies participate in our digital platform, which is the live edition typically will have about 325 companies. So there was definitely a difference. It was a little more of an intimate setting in that aspect. The geography makes it a little more interesting. I think that's one of the things that will help live events is we all have to be in the same time zone to be at a live event. Nobody's waking up in the middle of the night for a phone call. For our digital event, being global, if you were in Japan, you had to get up to do certain things on the platform if you wanted to connect with someone in Europe in real time. Um, So that's what we did for the off year. As we come back into our current cycle in 2022, uh, when the show opens on March 18th, we will still have the at-home platform for folks that either are unable due to travel restrictions, personal personal, um, opinion health restrictions, whatever reason you can't physically get to Cologne, that's okay. We will still offer our at-home edition where you can network, attend our classes, and visit all of the exhibitors. So all of our physical exhibitors will have a digital presence. You will, But if you're going to come on site, it's not as scary as you might think. Um, it's very easy, actually, to go to Germany from the United States. Um, from North America, I can even say, if you, are, you need to bring is your vaccination card, or proof of recent recovery, or proof of recent uh, negative testing. There is a time period in that negative testing piece. You may enter Germany, you may stay in a hotel room, and you may attend our show. You show proof of vaccination to enter our show. You show proof of vaccination to stay in your hotel. And to eat indoors, Germany has a mandatory requirement. To eat indoors, you must be vaccinated. If you're just using the testing method, you can only do takeout. Um, and there's mandatory face masks in Germany, even outdoors in the large public gathering spaces like near our Dome Cathedral, which is very iconic there. Um, you must have your, ma- your face mask on. And it's not, um, fortunately for the crafters out there, you can't use the ones you make. You have to use a medical grade mask in Germany. Uh, so it is very positive experience. People feel comfortable when they come. And we've been hosting live events um, on an international scale since September. We did one in October that had over, over 80,000 people come to town from, I think it was 125 nations. 
Um, and that was for food. And that was for a food product event. So they actually were eating in all the booths and uh, it was very comfortable. Everyone had a very good experience. That's great to hear. And um, yeah, so, you know, that's for the Cologne show. And I think it would be amazing to visit. I hope to be able to go sometime in the not too distant future. Um, Also, Cologne is a beautiful city. So it would be super fun just to do both some sightseeing and do the show. Um, But the good news, too, is that now we're going to have a new show here in the U.S. called H&H Americas. And um, you came to us, I don't know when it was, maybe in the summer or yeah, late spring, early summer and said, I've got this idea for this new show. What do you think? So what was the, I guess, impetus for Colin Mesa to decide, okay, we want to expand in this way? Um, our product is trade shows. We make our living via trade shows. We make our living by doing more trade shows than we did the year previous. So as we look through COVID and it's been a troubling time for many people in business, we were already looking two, three, four years after COVID and saying, well, where are their market opportunities? The United States or North America, if we even include our friends in Canada and Mexico in this block of wonderful buyers, is a tremendous market. Many people want into our markets here. Um, as a whole, I think we're one of the largest markets in the world. And you look at the gross domestic, gross domestic national product of what we buy. So we were looking around and unfortunate because of COVID, the events that service the industry weren't able to, weren't able to continue. Um, and so there was a void in the marketplace that we saw to say, hey, the industry needs a gathering point. People have said, hey, look, we've done business without going trade shows. We've been sit- crafting has been has had a wonderful renaissance. People have picked it up. Sales are up. Things are going relatively strong from suppliers. Why do we need trade shows? I work for a trade show company. I have to believe I'll say I drank the Kool-Aid, but yet we are humans. Like we want to feel, particularly in this segment, you want to feel how soft that, that silk is. You want to feel how nice that cotton feels in your hands. And then the difference of a red versus a, a rose versus a mauve and color representation on screens or looking at it on my little iPhone if you're doing a Zoom thing, by no means it does any of these companies' products justice without being able to see it or to unroll a bolt of fabric. You could see a swatch an inch big on your screen or you want to roll it out and again, see it and kind of understand what this is to do or put your hands on a sewing machine and actually see it do the stitch versus watching a video. It's a completely different experience. And we did um, some focus groups over the summer. We, I think we did three. Um, and we spoke with a lot of people from all different segments and all different roles about trade shows and about specifically craft industry trade shows and what is compelling about them for all these different kinds of people who work in the industry. And I thought one of the things that was most interesting is People said 50% what you just talked about, which was seeing the products in person, seeing demonstrations in person, getting their hands on everything. And the other 50%, which to me was like such a high percentage, was around people, being able to connect with people, whether that was, you know, shaking hands with somebody, being introduced to somebody new from somebody you already know, going to a networking event, or just those chance encounters where you just by chance run into somebody 
which, you know, some of that can be done, as you said, on Zoom, but the chance encounters are pretty difficult to set up on Zoom. So I thought that was really interesting. I, For me, I can't tell you how many times across different industries, it's the weirdest place on your way to the men's room, right? Or you're waiting for a cup of coffee. You hear an accident, you hear overhear a conversation, and it's like, oh my God, um, for the smallness of this industry, like I went to one of the TNNA shows in the past. And I found out a guy, I go went to elementary school. I've known him since the second grade, works for a distributor. And like the chances of this happening and you running into each other can only happen by being physical. If, you, if it was done via Zoom calls, I would never have the chance, ability to encounter something or that self of discovery. You can only search for the things you know. It's very hard to find things you don't know. So that idea of being able to walk up and down aisles and see a brand that you're not familiar with, but then when you get to know it, it offers something so unique or it's something that your competitors don't have, or it's just a totally different, wonderful story that becomes very passionate on why you want to bring this organic cotton, you know, yarn into your store or whatever the item might be. It's that sense of discovery. And I do truly believe we're humans, right? Like we like interaction as scary as it might be for some and as so people do need to be careful and have their differences you know when you watch certain communities a football stadium being full right they're taking certain risks but there's a certain community about it like i can't do another birthday party over zoom i want to be present with my friends and my family and my colleagues and and just reconnect even if i have to stand eight feet apart from them to feel personally safe i still would rather be in that room with them than through a screen yeah. And I also think from the, I haven't been to, to any other uh, craft industry trade shows except for Quilt Market. I've been there a few times. And for me too, some of the most memorable experiences and most valuable experiences that I had were going to kind of like the after hours parties, you know, like being invited to this particular fabric company that I was teaching with their like dinner, you know, and you sit next to people and you have a chance to really sit down and talk and be introduced to new people or, um, you know, just different like sort of celebrations and things like that, or gatherings that kind of happen outside of the formal programming. That's why the event doesn't end on the show floor. The event ends when you get back on your plane and you go home. And even then it might not because you don't know who's sitting next to you in the plane. It could be someone you still wanted to meet who happens to be living in your own city. Uh, and you didn't know that before. That's again, why these live experiences work so well is that continuation of things that happen at a restaurant, in a hotel lobby, waiting for anything is, it's the unknown, right? It's the ability to just have it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now let's talk about just exclusively about H&H Americas. So as we said, it's June 22nd to 24th. It's in Chicago at the Rosemont Convention Center. And um, tell us a little bit about sort of your vision for this show, what the focus is going to be, who should attend or consider attending. Um, kind of give us a sense of what this brand new show, which nobody's experienced yet, is going to be like. Yes, and we're building off the backbone of what people know our core brand, that H&H brand. So if you've been to Cologne, it's going to feel very much at home to you. If you've never had the chance to go, then yes, it's going to be something new because it, I don't believe the industry has presented itself this way here in North America. So when we truly mean believe, when we truly believe what we're saying, uniting the fiber art community, 
we want yarn, whether it's large scale production to small indie batch dyeing. We want garment making. We want sewing. We want to represent quilting. We want to represent all types of projects and makers that use a fiber-based material. So that um, includes like weaving, it includes spinning, it includes um, cross-stitch and needlepoint, needle uh, rug hooking, all the rest. Any and all of the above uh, that, that you can think of. And then probably the things that I can't even think of that all of you do wonderful things with. Yes. Um, those are the types of products that we're working hard to bring you as exhibitors so you can see these items and you can see these types of products along with um, business services because this is a business trade show. So things like website design, email marketing, Zoom, right? Like you're going to Zoom is not going away. You'll use it as part of your sales mechanism, maybe delivering a class or supporting a client or an at-home user. Let me teach you something quickly that couldn't make it to your store shopping bags, stickers, you name it. We have these things we need to run our businesses. Bundling that together along with the wonderful platform that you're building with educating people, teaching them new things about their business, how new avenues, new ideas, new things to think about of how they might run a more productive business in the future. And then when we talk about the type of person that we want to have attend is everyone that makes a living via the fiber arts. So whether you're an influencer, a designer, a traditional retailer, an e-commerce retailer, an educator. We want all of you, an Etsy maker, right? I use a great example a lot of times when I talk to people, there are some Etsy makers that really it's a hobby and they make one or two things. But there are plenty of Etsy stores that are full board production, right? They will make thousands, they need to buy thousands of dollars a month to meet the demand of what they're working on. Those types of makers, we want because they are a someone making their living via the fiber arts. I speak sometimes quite often about my elementary school. The person, there was an after-school weaving club. I want that teacher because she's generating the future weavers of America, right? She's generating the future interest in these products. So I want her to come to the show to see ideas of maybe something she can teach at an elementary school level. She needs to buy product too, right? That's where we want, we don't want to cast up barriers. We want to bring down the barriers and be as welcoming to all types of categories of these people. So we always are open to new ideas as audiences that I'm sure that I didn't mention in my little uh, speech here that we would be very open to. Um, and the same thing like with side events, we, we hope knitting clubs, guilds want to come and gather in the evenings and continue those communities. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, bloggers, for example, or people who have large followings on Instagram or people who are vloggers on YouTube. So or people who are designers who design crochet patterns or design cross stitch patterns, all of those people who in some ways and some other trade shows have maybe felt a little bit less welcome or like maybe they're you know, not so much as welcome as a retail shop owner, for example. But um, as you said, like an Etsy shop owner who's selling fabric on Etsy um, is a shop owner. So all of those folks that I just mentioned are absolutely welcome and there's going to be programming for you and we want you to be part of this. Right. And I, I, I tend to repeat myself because I want people to get it. You make a living in the fiber arts, you're buying product as a business in the fiber arts, 
we want you to look at this as a possible place for you to come, source and connect and learn. That's who this event is really trying to be designed to handle. Things like we do actually have a designer pavilion for designers who want to showcase and sell their sell their designs to other retailers. We have a independent book publisher pavilion. We have an Indian Tangled pavilion for small startups. Uh, so we are we have national pavilions um, for companies coming from other countries. So it's really trying to again understand and listen to all this wonderful feedback we get from our advisor committees that we have. We are trying to design an event that is we're listening to the industry, trying to deliver what the industry says they want and respond to the industry's needs, and that it's an event for the industry. And we'll say somewhat by the industry. I feel like I am part of this industry after all these years, and I just bring a different piece to the puzzle that makes up the fabric of this industry. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, so um, we have some committees and um, Craft Industry Alliance, one of our primary roles here is to plan the educational content, um, which is something that we always do all year long. Um, And so to be able to do this for a show is a really special experience. So um, teacher applications are open right now, and we are going to be kind of solidifying the roster of classes and demonstrations that you'll be able to take part in Um, sometime in January. We should be able to to finalize all of that. It's going to be really amazing. Um, And the other uh, committee that we are chairing is the Diversity and Accessibility Committee to really ensure that this show is as diverse and representational of the industry as a whole as it possibly can be, Um, whether that's in exhibitors or in um, people who are coming to teach or in the retailers who are coming to shop, et cetera. So that's a big part of what we're doing too. And both of these committees that have been helping us have been so valuable in expanding our understanding of what the industry really wants. Um, and I think H&H is really amazing in the way that it collaborates. So besides collaborating just with us, you mentioned Indian Tangled, which is um, a yarn uh, and fiber arts kind of marketplace, as well as a show a show before Rhinebeck. It's the show the night before Rhinebeck. Um, and it's run by Lisa Chamoff. And so they're collaborating as well. So talk a little bit about the Indian Tangled Pavilion, because this is an incredible opportunity for maybe folks listening who are a little bit newer to trade shows, maybe a little newer to wholesale. Yes. So we are excited that we partnered with uh, Lisa from India Untangled. And essentially what this area is, it's a startup zone. So if you're a business that is looking to break into the wholesale side of the business, so maybe you've been doing craft sales and direct to consumer for the last 10 years, and now you're considering how do we move into the wholesale distribution side and you're maybe not ready for a full booth for what that expense might be. This is a special zone within the show with a particular physical setup and then um, specialized support from Lisa, where there'll be specific outreach and specific programs to help get the startup some some exposure and how to move into it. There's also, um, I'm aware that you're working with her on some additional programming on how to do a trade show, how to think about trade shows, about really trying to help startups think what the next level in then want to be for their business. Like, are you ready to take that jump from a B to C, meaning business to consumer, and then moving to business to business is a different scale for your business, right? It's a scale of production. It's a scale of investment. It's a scale sometimes in time, particularly then when you take it to a global level, can you handle 
hey, this guy wants to pay in euros, you have dollars or whatever the currency, you know, Canadian dollars to US dollars. Um, it's, uh, I'd like to say it's simple, but it ain't that simple sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so we're running two webinars in January, one all about exhibiting at your first trade show, how to make the booth and make it look good and how to get ready. What do you need? And the second one all about um, wholesale. So how to move from selling to consumers to selling to stores at a wholesale level. And Lisa's going to be doing the moderating for those panel discussions. And we've got people from all different segments of the industry coming to talk. Um, so that's going to be for Craft Industry Alliance members in January. I'm very excited about those. Um, so just to wrap up here before we get to your recommendations, um, talk a little bit about pricing, whether it's I want to buy a ticket and just come to the show for maybe the first year and walk around, talk to people, maybe take a couple classes, um, kind of get a feeling for it and think about maybe, you know, exhibiting or something like that in the future to people who are like, okay, sign me up. I want to exhibit. How do I exhibit the show? Is it going to cost me so much money? How am I going to be able to do this? Well, that's a big question to answer in a very short time period. Um, the best way I would, the quickest way I can answer that question is just go on our website, right? We have a live chat on there that we watch and we have a number of different staff members that will answer all of your questions in detail. Uh, that's the number one thing I would say. We have a cost calculator on there where you can automatically compute what it costs to deal with at a booth because we have an early bird price. We have members of your organization get a discount. If you exhibit in Cologne, you can get a discount. Um, there's a bunch of different opportunities to try to lower the price, let alone are we talking in the Untangled Pavilions one price? The designer pavilion is a different package. So we have lots of different packages, too long to go through each of those individual pricing. Just reach out. We have more than glad to work with you one-on-one -on -one and to work with you to make sure that we can make the event accessible for everyone. When it comes to attending, if, and if exhibiting is not right for you because you're a retailer, right? You're not an exhibitor or you're not sure if you want to exhibit it. You're a new business or you're not sure what we're going to do. You want to walk the show. Again, everyone is welcome as long as your business is in the fiber arts. We want you to think about coming. And then there we will offer a few different ticket types. So we will have a individual class ticket type where you can buy just a one-off class. Um, we are working on a season pass for, for the conference content where you can just buy every class. What's nice is we will be working to capture all of it digitally so that if you can't make a class and you bought that all access pass, it doesn't mean you won't get it. You can watch it later on your own time and skip through to the pieces that you wanna see. Along with, we will then have our exhibit only pass. Um, members of your organization will actually be given free access codes to that. Yay. Um, our exhibitors will also have access to distribute some codes. So that's one of the membership has its privileges, taking that from American Express. Um, you know, so there will be different ways for people to, to, to access the event as well. And all of that pricing and we'll be rolling out um, right after the new year as we finalize our overall conference agenda. We'll confirm everything and get that out. And we expect registration to begin at the beginning of March. So about four months before the show is when we will actually open up the ticketing system. Right. Um, I will throw that we are going to be publishing right after the first of the year, our health policy. And we are going to be following very similar to what we have in Germany. Um, we have mandatory vaccination, proof of vaccination. Um, we will be following right now in the state of Illinois, we still require face masks. So we'll be following the state's mandates and requiring face masks on our show floor. But this will be a live page that we will update it continuously with whatever the, the, the local 
between municipal law, local law, federal law, we'll follow those guidelines and kind of move along with that process. But it'll be very clear for everyone to understand how we're going to keep everyone safe so they can feel assured that they can feel comfortable in coming, along with the digital platform for, again, those that either can't travel because of distance, maybe they can't get away from their stores, you still will be have a full at-home platform where you can interact in live meetings with all of our exhibitors, set appointments, and also attend our conference content as well. That's wonderful. I'm so excited about this, and I'm excited that we have the opportunity to collaborate and be part of this new show. I will be there the whole time, and I can't wait to come. I can't wait also to just see everybody in person again after all of this long time that we've been at home. I think the industry is ready to reconnect and reconnect in person, and this is the place to do it. So very, very excited about it. And Darren, I know we talked in the beginning about your background and the things that you enjoy doing with your family. So I'd love to return there for your recommendations because your first recommendation is cooking. And I also love to cook, but you said specifically everything from Taco Bell to Michelin starred restaurants are your cup of tea. I'm a dynamic human being. (laughs) There's something to be had for the dollar menu and what you get for the value that you pay, which is can be very nicely. And then that class experience of eating at a restaurant that no longer exists. Charlie Trotter's was a very famous restaurateur in Chicago here. You know, it would be $300 a person for a meal. And I would tell my students when I was a professor, if it took you a dollar a week, put it in that coffee can and 300 weeks later, you'll save enough. The experience that you have, like, feeling that China and the level of the quality of the service and the attention to the detail is so much to learn of what you then take back to your own business even. And that level of expertise and professionalism is second to none when you eat in those Michelin star restaurants. Yeah, totally. I can tell that you're totally a hospitality person. So that's great to hear from you. And you also love to exercise as do I. So I'm addicted to going to Orange Theory, which is a a gym uh, that is a franchise and is just this certain system that I think is amazing. But I know tons of people, especially during the pandemic, got a Peloton. And it sounds like you have one and you also have something new called a broom ball that I've never heard of. Yeah, well, Yes, I own a, I'm a Peloton freak like the rest of like the rest of my household. We love it. I had it before the pandemic. It was definitely a survival tool through the pandemic, physically and mentally. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I'm glad to see Mr. Big really isn't dead for all of our Sex in the City fans, that he really is alive. Love the advertising follow-up to try to save their stock. Um, but broomball, not so much as a, as a sport. So for anyone that's in a cold weather place, you maybe remember back from college, running around the night sheet, literally with a cutoff broom. Um, I play in a league now. Someone invited me. I had no idea what I was really getting into because I remember my fraternity days as being one thing. This is a much touch more of a touch different. And so now I play every Sunday night. I play broom ball with a bunch of people that are probably 20 years my my negative, but I have a great time. <laughs> That's cool. So is it kind of like curling? Cur- you know what curling is, right? Yeah. It's like, you, know, like you like sweep the ice and it makes this puck move. No, imagine playing ice hockey without the skates. Oh, exactly. and with, a, and with a broom, a broom instead of a, a hockey. Yes. A stick. shortened broom and a bigger ball, not a puck. Um, but it really is just like most of the people I play with are hockey players. That wow. Do- 
Okay. Yeah. That would fly here in Boston where everything ice is over pretty much by now we're in December and it doesn't thaw until March. So you can definitely skate or play broom ball on like a pond or whatever. So it's fun. It's unique. It's co-ed. So it's kind of, it's just a, it's a very cool experience. Yeah. Okay. And then you have a book to recommend called the infinite machine, how an army of crypto hackers is building the next internet with Ethereum. I'm fascinated by crypto and by NFTs specifically. So I haven't read this book though. When you ask this question to think about it, like I go through, I listen to a lot of business books. I don't read a lot of pleasure books, we'll call them. Or, uh, and it was one that I thought would just be very unique to offer as a suggestion. It's a good entry to understanding where crypto has come from, why cryptocurrencies exist, to try to give you the understanding of why they even have value. Because some people look at me and say, like, what is this Bitcoin? Like, how does that money, like Ethereum, like, again, how is this money that people actually transact? And like, how is it not just disappear tomorrow versus the dollar in your hand? And the book goes through a lot of the history about fiat currency into this work, cryptocurrency, the history of how it actually to come to what Bitcoin was and the things that preceded Bitcoin. And it tries to project kind of into the future where we see the idea of digital currencies going. Um, and it, you're right, it, it is a crazy little world of where it all is going. Um, I still like to point back to like Star Trek. That's where I hope we end up. Things are just free. You walk up to a replicator and say, give me this. <laughs> <laughs> but that idea, this, you know, the, the idea that digital things can have value. The NFTs, we can go a whole nother day and that's a whole nother podcast just to get into NFTs. Totally. I'm fascinated by NFTs. And I definitely think that crypto is something that you should keep your eye on and shouldn't ignore because I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And if it's going to be part of society, it's worth understanding. So um, even if you're dubious, (laughs) it's still worth understanding what it is and how it works and why people are so excited about it. Um, Or maybe, you know, kind of hesitant about it, but, um, but it certainly is here, I think for the long haul. So in some form, you know, a digital currency in some form, we'll see, you know, we're at the early stages, but um, look at the way that the internet has transformed how all of us live and work and, um, and are entertained, et cetera. So, you know, don't, don't ignore it. <laughs> it's right here. And so, as we, and as we sit here, I think that might be something I've, I've literally written it down. Yeah. Don't be surprised if we see this topic possibly at H and H America's because now oh, that would be fun. We need to come yeah. up with something for cryptos and NFTs. Yeah, at least if not this year, sometime in the next couple of years, for sure. So yeah, well, Darren, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I can't wait to physically be together in, in Chicago or in Rosemont, I should say, in June. Absolutely. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. This episode was brought to you by Divine Social. Divine Social is a marketing agency that helps e-commerce stores who sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, and DIY enthusiasts. They are behind some of the biggest brands in the creative industry, responsible for strategies to move your online traffic from prospects to buyers to raving fans. And now the team at Divine Social is offering a customized review of your shop to help you uncover what's keeping you from selling more. Go to divinesocial.com backslash CIA for more details. Thank you so much, Divine Social. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, 
the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.